everybody, Alex here. Hope you're all doing well and welcome to another edition of Sociology To Go. This week we're going to look at aging, technology, and healthcare, both in the U.S. and abroad, with a specific focus on inequalities based on age and aging, as well as uh, elderly income sources. It's interesting stuff, so let's just get started. So the first stop we should probably make is to think about some social perspectives on age and aging. Depending on when and where we're looking, we might have some varying perspectives on what these roles and statuses tied to our age might look like. Um, are we looking at the elderly as being full of wisdom and experience and of value? Or are we looking at the elderly as obsolete and not contributing to the workforce anymore? Are we looking at young people as inexperienced? Or are we looking at young people as uh, being innovative? Um, right, lots of, lots of different perspectives here, even within our own society about our different roles and statuses pertaining to our age. So keep that in mind as we're going with this. Um, you, we should pause and look at some of the uh, different theoretical perspectives, right? So we're making a few stops within this first stop. And um, looking at you kind of within these, how some of that um, role and status understanding comes about. Um, you know, our functionalists are looking at um, how age and age group roles and expectations keep society stable. So when we're young, we are getting our education, we're learning how to be contributing members of society. Um, through adolescence, we're trying to figure out what that contribution is going to be. And we're learning about kind of how to become an adult. And then in adulthood, in theory, we are contributing to the workforce and we are building our families and performing these, these roles and, and uh, meeting these expectations until that magic number of 65 here in the U.S. where we are expected to make room for uh, those behind us in the workforce or those entering the workforce so that they too can cl climb these various ladders and then we, we leave that role enter retirement and um, have support in place so that we are able to live during that um, period of our life where we continue to disengage from these positions um, in the workforce but enter other positions. So say things that we didn't have time to do, be they leisure or community engagement in the form of say um, being on the board of directors of a museum or um, volunteer work and some, some manner of contribution there until we, um, you know, disengage further and um, don't inhabit even, even those um, roles and statuses until we eventually pass on, right? Our functionalists would point out that this is very normalized right? This is a normal process. It's an encouraged process in which we are relinquishing power, relinquishing control um, to make room for the generations behind us. This is how society is able to stabilize. 
Um, right, it's, it's very idealistic though too, because we see not everyone is able to retire. 65 is not the magic number for everyone. Um, not everyone wants to, not everyone can, and not everyone has that support on the other side once they've exited that role of worker um, or employee or business owner. Um, they, they, don't, they don't all have and we don't all have that ability. Um, so we come to, we come to some serious questions about, um, how our roles and statuses contribute to the stability of society. And therefore what happens when we can't uphold those statuses or we can't leave those roles? Um, you know, this is interesting, uh, to look at even from an economics perspective, um, and sociology of work, right, where we see bottlenecking occurring. And, um, you know, as we, as we venture into other theoretical perspectives, we may see stigma, or we may see stereotyping or ageism pertaining to um, elder folks in the workforce. But we'll talk more on that a little bit later. Um, you know, we should, of course, check in with our conflict theorists and see what they have to say here. And their perspective um, is, of course, a little bit different. They have this modernization theory of aging in which we are um, looking at the links um, between our roles and our statuses, um, you know, as we, as we enter this, this, realm, this age group of being, of being considered elderly, um, with, uh, labor contributions, right? So looking at our relationship to the means of production as we age and how that changes, um, once we are of a certain, of a certain age, how are we able to contribute? How is society really geared towards youth in many ways? I think a great place to look at this we could go all different directions, but you know me, I like pop culture. So I'm going to say, let's look at this from a pop culture perspective. A majority of media created today, fashion created today, is geared towards young people. It's not to say it's all geared towards young people. Certainly we have great shows on Netflix like Grace and Frankie. We love it. Um, you know, and, and we, this is not even necessarily new. But um, a majority of what is out there is geared towards young people. Um, and when we have that, um, that designation or prioritization towards a certain group, um, this leaves us to consider the, um, the value placed on those that are not in that group. Um, you know, in this case, we're focusing on the elderly. Um, we see that, um, you know, again, kind of like our functionalists are saying that um, new openings are created through retirement. Um, you know, looking at usually, typically how we, we go up the ladder in our careers, right? We are probably at the highest point uh, in our career once we reach retirement, right? Presuming we stay in the same career forever, which, you know, is becoming a dated idea in and of itself. But presuming that we have, say, worked in a career path for 
45 years, we will probably be at the peak of it by the time we reach this age of retirement. So um, we are seeing people be asked to leave at that point. Um, this is when they're at their, their most significant role in the, the labor force. Um, however, we see sometimes that um, this is not always going to be the end of a person's um, working experience. So um, if a person leaves a position um, and tries to seek something else out, we may see that ageism in the hiring process um, doesn't allow for that person to find a status similar to what they had previously. Um, we'll talk more on why folks may enter, uh, re-enter, I should say, the workforce. Um, we'll talk about that after, after looking at this theory a little bit further. Um, we also have to think in this, um, this value assessment uh, about the role of technology. Um, and how education and economic technology have a relationship here that our conflict theorists are interested in. Um, as we acquire our education, we are often exposed to contemporary technology. And um, as we age or we have gone longer without um, being in school necessarily, we um, may not have access to contemporary technology or education or information pertaining to it. So um, we see that um, elderly individuals may experience a technology gap in which their, um, their work and their industry may develop a reliance on new technology, um, but they are not necessarily able or viewed as able to participate because of their um, absence of education pertaining to that technology. So uh, they end up um, forced into less valued or um, technology dependent jobs or may be viewed as uh, being obsolete in their training and education. Um, this is, you know, interesting because it brings us to a couple questions that our conflict theorists, um, as well as our feminist theorists, uh, would be interested in. Um, as we um, modernize, do we see statuses of the elderly lowering? Meaning that as we as we depend more on new technology, do we see a trend of lowering the status or the view of um, individuals in this elder group, as, you know, it's, it's essentially losing their value um, because they can't participate or are viewed as not being able to participate in um, adapting to this new technology. Um, we also come to um, questions about um, how and why we see differences in um, standards about aging for men and for women. So, you know, again, looking at status loss and, and um, how we are expected to make room right for others, we can see that this is experienced differently for men and for 
women. Um, be this from a labor perspective, you know, we granted, granted, we have, you know, a lot of, lot of changes in the last few generations, but if we're looking at uh, generations prior to that and even generations, you know, closer, closer to now, um, we see a lot of uh, women not be valued for the uh, work they have done at home. So women expected to be stay-at-home moms, but then that work not being valued. Um, or um, those working um, not being viewed as primary breadwinners. Um, you know, we have this we have this double standard of aging where um, you know men are valued or assessed based on um, you know what they what they can do right for often relating to their power and their authority um, as well as what they're contributing to the workforce but women are um, still largely judged on appearance and beauty and you know again coming back to pop culture and taking a trip to um, the beauty section of any store we see a lot of products geared towards women um, pertaining to anti-aging, aging as bad, right? It's not okay to age. We have to fight aging with every cream and spray and hair product we possibly can. Um, you know, um, this it shows us a little bit, um, you know, again, our feminist theorists would be very interested in um, this phenomena, how about um, aging and women's identity, um, you know, both from this, this, um, association with physical appearance, um, but taking, taking it a step further back towards what we were talking about and this, um, idea about what we're contributing in terms of work. So, um, you know, are, are the, the tasks that women have performed, um, at home, or even in their own careers, valued or viewed the same um, as men. So some interesting, uh, interesting stuff there. Um, you know, a lot of different directions we could go. But um, you know, let's wrap up our conversation about theory here a little bit with our interactionists, our symbolic interactionists, and um, they are they are interested in this phenomena about, um, you know, roles and expectations as well. Um, but they're also interested in, um, stigma in all of this, right? So we're back to our friend Irving Goffman. And if you remember, stigma is this idea of a, an identity spoiling attribute, right? It's some attribute that discredits um, our ability to be treated as, as a full-fledged member of society. And our interactionists point out um, that there are um, role expectations that actually stigmatize various age groups. Um, we have these definitions of what it means to inhabit these age groups, right? Expectations stereotypes about what it means to be young, to be middle-aged, um, to be elderly. Again, looking back to popular culture, you know, we can watch any Simpson 
Simpsons episode with Grandpa Simpson in it, and there's going to be some joke about his ineptitude based on his age, right? He doesn't understand how technology works. He can't keep his thoughts about him. He puts his slippers in the dishwasher, right? All these, these jokes, but pertaining to the stereotype of being elderly and therefore less capable or mentally and physically uh, frail in some way. So our symbolic interactionists are interested in the idea of ageism, right? Where stereotyping um, comes in and how we stigmatize the elderly based on these ideas. Um, what is of note here, aside from just kind of the, those harmful stereotypes, is with this stigma comes social isolation um, and elder abuse in, in more extreme cases and, um, you know, dangers of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, we see, you know, depending on what culture we're looking at, this may be quite different, right? We may have very positive ideas about aging, um, whereas, you know, in other cultures we may see quite negative stereotypes about aging. Um, you know, our, our interactionists, um, come to questions like how do we learn these roles, right? How do we learn our age related roles and how do we learn these, um, ideas about other ages that we have yet to experience? Where does that come from and how do we interpret, uh, certain, uh, either pieces, um, of each other's identities or how do we interpret these, um, you know, jokes we're seeing on TV about different roles and age. Um, and you know, kind of where, where do our perceptions about certain ages, uh, perpetuate some of this stigma? So, you know, this is, this is plenty, you know, to, to digest. And I, you know, I encourage you to, to look at the chapters to, to understand a little bit more, but I think here main takeaway lots of different ways to look at how the elderly are perceived and how our age um, has a lot to do with how um, we are understood in terms of roles and expectations within our society. Okay, so now that we kind of have our heads wrapped around some of these ideas about how um, we think about aging in society and um, roles and expectations pertaining to our age, um, we should look at um, elderly income sources and some of the issues there that are of note for a class such, of, such as ours. So uh, our primary elderly income sources tend to be social security, private pensions, and individual savings. And I know most of us have not um, experienced working with these or maybe only in assisting family members or loved ones. Um, but it's important to note that um, you can take Social Security at 62. That's the earliest you can take it. You get a 25% um, deduction, meaning you can't get as much as you would 
um, once you hit the magic age of 65. Um, that's how our system works. And at 65, um, you have access to um, healthcare and you have access to several other um, federal resources that are put in place to accommodate um, those who are not actively generating income anymore, meaning that you have left the workforce. Um, when we look at Social Security, we see um, predominantly uh, individuals inhabiting a lower income status or middle income status are most dependent on this Social Security. And it's important to note that um, income and gender um, play significant roles in how much Social Security we will have access to. Also, we have to think about age and um, how much or what kind of health care we are going to need. Um, typically, um, while we see anyone across any, any age bracket, you know, will need health care. We all need health care, right? Um, in varying forms. Um, but we tend to see as we get older, we need more access to health care or we may have... Um, more conditions in which we we need regular ongoing treatment or more significant care. So as we get older, heart disease, strokes, um, hypertension, right? These are these are all things that require ongoing ongoing care. Um, so that gets expensive. We also see that assisted living and um, any kind of uh, live in care, or even if you are aging in place, meaning that you are staying in your home um, as you as you age, right? Care care is expensive, and what we are seeing when we kind of combine all of this is the problem of um, all of this mixed with the fact that we are living longer, right? By the by the graces of medicine and technological advancement, we are all living longer than generations before us. However, um, we have not always foreseen that um, and we have not always expected that. And so um, that with other factors at play, we're seeing that um, folks are outliving their savings, meaning that they are living longer than they expected and running out of money. So what does this mean? This means lots of things. This means um, a, an elderly homeless population. This means dependency on children or grandchildren or family members. Um, this means, as you'll read about in the article assigned today, um, an elderly crime wave in Japan. Um, as you'll read about, this is um, you know, a significant phenomena in which um, we see elderly individuals committing uh, minor crimes um, in order to go to jail or go to prison so that they will have a place to live or a means of being covered, having housing, shelter, food, um, while they can save up some of their pension so that when they get out, they will, they will have a means of supporting themselves for longer. Um, this means in some cases um, folks that had retired uh, re-entering the workforce um, or 
anxiety or concern for this being a problem, folks not leaving the workforce. So um, this comes with, of course, um, you know, difficulty as we see folks trying to find work um, in a workforce that has a lot of stigma uh, towards uh, the aging and um, the elderly. So I want us to talk about that next. Um, we should also though, before we go too far off into ageism and aging um, and that relationship with the workplace, we should also acknowledge um, a little bit more this technology gap. So challenges may be present um, based on our age and our relationship to technology and our ability to even find a job. So if you don't have a computer, don't have internet, don't have a smartphone, uh, you may not even be able to search for a job. You may not be able to apply for a job as, as the idea of turning in a paper copy of a, a resume or paper copy of a job application is pretty obsolete at this point. Um, Conversely, if we're needing to look for um, more affordable housing, much of this is done online, right? And through technology, um, needing to have email addresses and things of this nature that some um, do not have, that um, they did not need or um, have any kind of experience with during their time in the workforce um, or have anybody uh, to show them or teach them these processes. So we see even being able to look for a job or look for housing or look for care may be limited by our um, knowledge, experience, or access to technology. But let's talk about this ageism thing here now. Ageism in the workplace and ageism pertaining to hiring, um, this is, you know, this is a phenomenon that's experienced by folks trying to re-enter the workforce, folks trying to stay in the workforce. So say they've lost their job in their 40s or 50s and need to keep working for, you know, another 10 or 15 years um, before they can retire, or folks that are not feeling like they're able to retire. Um all, all of these scenarios um, have, have um, the possibility to run into ageism in the workplace. Um, when you know, we're looking at the numbers, um, in 2016, we were talking about 34.4 uh, million Americans between the age of 55 and 64 were employed. Um, that's a significant number. And um, that age bracket is uh, often the age bracket that um, uh, experiences ageism pertaining to hiring as well as uh, promotion and treatment from other uh, coworkers. So some of the why here um, in terms of um, why uh, folks of a certain age are viewed as um, problematic or risky. Um, there's reference often to obsolescence, meaning that what they have learned um, or what they have done in the workforce or the, the skill set that they have is obsolete. 
um, no longer of use or behind the times or not able to adapt. Um, also with this um, pertaining to hiring, uh, we see reference to individuals not being worth the investment, meaning that they are um, not going to be in the workforce long enough to be a, a be a worthwhile investment, you know. So if we're looking for somebody who's going to um, fulfill a position and a career path uh, for the next twenty years to benefit a uh, a company, but you are only going to potentially be working for ten, you are not going to be viewed as a worthwhile investment. This is somewhat similar to uh, what we see women in their 20s and 30s experience um, with the idea of them as a risky hire because it is presumed that a woman will take time off to get married, take time um, to have children, and not necessarily prioritize their career over said children um, as the um, primary caregiver to, um, to their young ones. So not totally the same, but similar in the sense of how uh, committed a person uh, will be um, perceived, right? So um, another reason um, that comes up is um, this perspective of being unable or unwilling to adapt, meaning that when somebody has experienced, um, you know, a career or experienced um, working in an industry, they may uh, have a, an idea about how things should go. And there is a concern that those individuals will be unable or unwilling to adapt. Again, this is, you know, rooted in stereotype and, and unfounded, but um, this is a justification that is given along with um, the view that an individual with 20 years experience under their belt is not likely to come in at base pay like a younger person would, so they are viewed as more expensive. Um, gender fits into this, of course. Um, we see that um, finding full-time employment for um, older women is uh, uniquely difficult uh, pertaining to um, stereotypes about appearance. So um, I think the book brings up a great anecdote about a woman who's told um, by a placement consultant looking for a job that um, she may remind the manager too much of his mother or that, um, you know, kind of building off of that, they're not the right look for, say, the, the face of a company, meaning like the, the receptionist or customer service um, for a company. Uh, we see several studies. Um, the book references one from 2007 um, that, you know, places priority not just on skill set, uh, but on physical presentation for women seeking jobs more so than uh, men. Um, also noting uh, that there are uh, cases where younger managers may perceive older women as a threat. Um, this puts women, you know, as the study in the book references, uh, in a problematic position where uh, they are often placed 
by temp or place placement agencies in lower paid or lower skilled temporary positions. Um, so, you know, this, this has a lot, um, that we can, that we could expand on, but I think it's important to note, um, you know, as we're talking about the experience of women here, so too, do we see gendered expectations about men, the idea coming back around to this idea of, of being unwilling to adapt lots of stereotypes about, um, men in competition, uh, with younger men and, um, views of power dynamics there. Um, so, you know, ageism in the workplace takes a lot of different forms. Looking at this hiring, um, aspect is, um, significant because we are watching, um, with this, um, how successful or unsuccessful someone can be, um, in acquiring or maintaining work as they, as they age. As you may be thinking back to previous parts of the class, um, when we see cost of living be high, um, difficulty staying in or reinstating oneself in the workplace and folks outliving um, their savings, we run into territory um, for an elderly homeless population. Um, we also run into unique phenomena um, like you will read about in the article this week um, in Japan about um, elderly folks committing uh, minor crimes. Um, Ringo apparently has opinions about said minor crimes um, to be able to go to jail or go to prison as a place to stay. Um, meaning that they will have shelter, they will have food. Um, in some cases, their um, medical needs will be met um, better than what they have access to um, outside. So um, as the article that you're asked to read will discuss, um, reasons for this include, you know, not being able to survive on what is left of their pension or feeling the need to save um, their pension. So, you know, they can save up their pension while they are in prison so that they will have more to live on longer while they get out um, and uh, maybe get some basic basic needs met in the process. Um, you know, just to bring this bring this home a little bit, home meaning Chico, um, you know, we have we have a significant um, number of elderly it, within our homeless population here in Chico and here in Butte County. And um, as it relates to COVID um, and coronavirus, we saw um, a very mixed response, um, both from city council and from the community about how to um, address our most vulnerable within an already vulnerable population, meaning our uh, 65 plus um, individuals experiencing homelessness. Um, it was decided to try to um, put some of those folks in uh, hotel rooms as a means to give them a, a safe space to socially isolate and socially distance, uh, distance from other uh, community members. Um, but we see that some of these 
unique needs, be it in this time or be it in other times and regular times, as we'll call them, the before times, as I as I hear them referred to in memes on uh, social media, um, this population um, experiences a different a different level of need and a different kind of need, um, just as we would see um, homeless adolescents. Um, homeless children and homeless adults all have all have different needs um, and is certainly um, a, a lack of resource um, for acquiring those needs. Um, sleeping on a mat on the floor at a shelter is much more difficult um, for an elderly person with say joint problems. Um, sleeping outside um, can make any of us vulnerable, but um, when we have ongoing um, or pre, uh, predispositions uh, to, to health problems, um, this can be um, very significant um, in terms of what we may experience or if we will survive it. So, um, you know, lots of, lots of factors at play pertaining to um, income and um, our quality of life and our longevity of life and what, what all of those things uh, mean when we put them together. One last stop we should make here as we've been talking about aging and technology and, and health um, is isolation. You know, isolation um, right now means something different than, than, you know, what we've talked about, um, previously. Um, but isolation and loneliness is very much a component of, um, be it shelter in place and the social distancing we're practicing right now. But this has been an experience, um, for the elderly, um, for a long time. Um, you know, we can, we can tie back to some of what our functionalists were talking about, about um, how we see the elderly withdrawal from society. And we have to ask if that is voluntary or if that is forced or somewhere in between. Um, but, um, you know, one, one anecdote I think that's worth uh, bringing up here is uh, that of public transportation. Um, there was a study done in the UK, and we've seen some studies done in the Bay Area, and um, I believe a study done in New York about public transportation, specifically um, subways, tubes, as they're referred to in the UK, the tube, um, and uh, BART, you know, if you're familiar with the Bay Area. And um, the technology required uh, to participate in the use of this public transportation, you know, we see as we get older, um, we may be unable to drive or we may feel unsafe to drive, choose not to drive for any number of reasons. Um, and public transportation would be our primary means of getting around if that's the case, um, you know, or walking or what have you. But public transportation to get further distances is what we would rely on. And as we've seen, um, these forms of public transportation move from cash and tokens to having to use a um, touch screen or a credit card or get a, a pass or order passes online, right? This becomes uh, more complicated. And if this is not something that we're familiar with or familiar with technology that would allow us to uh, feel comfortable to explore 
this new demand, we may feel um, embarrassed, we may feel uh, overwhelmed or discouraged, isolated, or like this is not for us anymore. And the um, UK study uh, definitely indicated that many individuals experienced all of those things, discouraging them from using public transportation or even having them feel like they could not use public transportation because they did not have a familiar familiarity enough um, with the technology, you know, such as a touchscreen um, or a menu to uh, to use it. Um, so what uh, has been done is uh, in some in some public transportation stations, um, educators, meaning you know community members or some uh, employee of the public transportation service um, are there to educate and walk people through it um, so that they may feel comfortable or confident to use this public transportation. Um, you know, this may seem trivial, but this is how some folks have to get to their doctor's appointments. And what we were seeing in some of these studies was that people were not going to their doctor's appointments because they were not able to use the um, public transportation or they would rely on others to bring them groceries or rely on others to come to them which may be fewer and further between than if they were able to use public transportation and go somewhere themselves this study in the uk indicated that individuals who were not feeling confident to drive or safe to drive and were also not feeling like they had um the background knowledge or confidence to use public transportation were um, only getting out of their houses or their apartments um, once every two weeks to a month. And we're only engaging with a person bringing them groceries or providing them health care um, once every three days to a week. So you can imagine um, the tax that that can take on um, an individual's mental health and mental well-being um, and what prolonged isolation and loneliness uh, may bring about. Um, you know, again, bringing it into today and here in California, um, Governor Newsom has um, issued a, um, a uh, friendship line. It's a phone number. Um, it's an easy Google. I don't have it with me um, off the top of my head, but it's, um, it's a phone number, an 800 number that is in place um, to call if you just need to talk, if you are experiencing isolation and loneliness, um, whether you are elderly or not, but specifically geared towards the elderly um, who are um, highly isolated right now. Um, it's a means to address that, that loneliness and isolation. Um, you know, when we, when we look at isolation and loneliness, of course, there, there is a, a mental, physical, emotional toll, um, but we may see um, challenges to an individual's sense of value or self-worth um, or value within society um, when they are isolated or feeling like um, the technology needed for, say, transportation or driving um, is no longer for them or adaptable to their um, skill set and ability. This, this can, um, like much of what we've been talking about this week, um, cause individuals to feel like 
you know, society is essentially not for them anymore, that this world is not, you know, including them in it. And so, um, so we must look at, um, you know, technology and this relationship to aging here and um, what pros and cons that presents too, because you may be thinking that, well, wait, technology might be a great way to address isolation and loneliness, right? You know, I taught my 76 year old dad how to FaceTime this month because he's on his own and, you know, wanted, wanted to see us and we wanted to see him. And now rather than just a phone call, we can, you know, show him the hilarious things that our dogs are doing and show him, you know, what our daughter has drawn. And, you know, this, this, uh, changes the game a little bit, be it now or be it previously. Um, so, you know, technology is, um, both a, a pro and a con in this experience of isolation and, um, and aging. So, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to say, you know, shame on, shame on our technological advancements for excluding the elderly, but we, we do have to, um, acknowledge that it is not just the access to technology, but the access to the, um, skill set to use technology that allows it to alleviate some of these issues. it up for today. I know we've covered a lot of different ground here. Please let me know if you have questions. Feel free to come by office hours, send me an email, and certainly if you would like any of the resources or the documents that I've referred to in this podcast, you know, I know some of it feels maybe more relevant to what we're doing right now in the world. Um, There's a lot out there online, but I'm happy to share what I have um, as well. So please just be in touch if you have questions. Uh, Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk next week. That'll be our last week of material before finals week, which I'm going to more rosily refer to as the week before summer break. So um, be well, best of luck on all your assignments and all your wrap up of the rest of the semester. And we'll talk next week. See ya.